Hallelujah. How many of us are blessed this morning? How many of us were, how many of us felt impacted by the worship? You know, um, spiritual things are very measurable. Spiritual things are very, very what? It's very, very measurable. It's not ambiguous. If you have worshipped the Lord well, if you have had an encounter with the Lord, you should know. Amen. Am I making sense? If you have not had, you've just exercised, you know, a spiritual act of worship, and you did that in faith, you did that in with a right heart, you did that with, you know, the right attitude and the right motivation, you should know. Amen. Because what will happen is there is a sense of peace that you feel. There is a sense of alignment that you feel. You know, and I'm not talking about goosebumps and they feel good that you feel on the outside. That, ah, man, I, I don't, you know. Worship was really sweet. I'm not talking about the sweetness we feel in our bodies or in our minds. I'm talking about that you know you have made contact with the supernatural. You know that you have the attention of God because you've touched the heart of God by the sacrifice that you've offered from your heart. So spiritual things are absolutely very measurable. When you're, when you're not doing it right, you should know. Am I making sense? Am I making sense? When you're not doing it right, you should what? You should know. And that is why it's very important for us to give our all. There are some things that demand our all. Nothing less. Worship is one of it. Attention to the word of God is one of it. If, it's, if, if you are not giving it everything, it's not worth it. Am I making sense? You know, it's raining now and some people are going to say, oh, because it's raining, I'm going to stay at home. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Imagine me saying that um, I'm supposed to preach today, but because it's raining, I'm going to stay at home. <laughs> what does that make me? A very unserious person. A very unserious steward. But, you know, it is the same standard with, you, with everybody. It's not just the preacher or just the pastor or anybody. Even the person that is supposed to just come and listen is the same standard. Am I making sense? So, things of the Spirit, things of God, demand our everything. It doesn't matter what you're feeling. It doesn't matter whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it. You are to give your all in faith. I remember I was telling God this morning, I said, today feels a little bit different. I, I don't feel anything. I don't feel, you know, the anticipation, the excitement, you know, the, I don't feel anything. But I'm, I'm, I'm 100%, I want to say I'm damn sure. <laughs> I'm 100% sure that the Lord is here with me. And it's not going to be different. The experience is not going to be less, it's not going to be different. Because I don't have to feel it, I just know he's here. And I just know that he has a word for us. Because that is his commitment. And God does not fail. Am I making sense this morning? So I want us to open our heart. We're not going to spend the whole day here. But I want us to open our heart. Let, let us make this encounter worthwhile. By what we bring to the table. Eli- Elisha told that woman who cried to, who, who cried to him after her husband died. You know, and, and said to him that, you know, the husband who was a Levite is dead. And he owed lot of money and 
the creditors are coming to take away her children because you know as a means of repayment and elijah told him elijah told him to gather vessels you know that what does she have she says she has a jar of oil fantastic elijah said gather vessels together and then when you've gathered vessels begin to pour and scripture says that as many vessels as she gathered she was able to fill you know with the oil and the oil only ceased to flow when there was no vessel anymore to fill and that is the way the things of the spirit is if what you bring is a small container like let's say 5 ml you know that very tiny container that we use to give children drugs that very tiny one if that's all you bring that's all you get amen but if you bring heavy jars that can fill this whole street god is not intimidated by your hunger God doesn't ration these things. You know, so let's ration the spirit. It takes more. Come back next week. No, God doesn't do that. God gives you as much as your hunger demands. As much as your expectation demands. And sometimes, the reason why we're not experiencing, you know, the release, the outpouring of the spirit is because our expectation is so low. We just want to come around and our sacrifice doesn't show that we have expectation because our sacrifice is little because sacrifice that proves expectation am i making sense so but when you go the extra mile and god can see the panting of your heart and god can see the hunger of your heart god said okay this child this guy this lady he's looking for me i have to answer her because i am a faithful god hallelujah and that is one important aspect of a true worshiper too it's a heart that constantly, you know, pants for God. David, David said that, um, is it, give me Psalms 42. Maybe we'll just start from there. Has the heart panted after the water brooks? So panted my soul after thee, O God. Next verse. My soul does what? Test for you, or text for God. For the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? Next verse. My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say to me where is thy god anytime you see this kind of conversations from david what you see is someone who is really desperate for god and i think that's one thing that god really loved about david david was a guy who loved the lord madly let me put it that way he wasn't moderate about it he wasn't rationing his love for God. Anytime he had an opportunity to express or to do the will of God, anytime he had an opportunity to express his heart to God, he goes all the way. And I believe that was one written reason why he he also had a sensitive heart. He's always sensitive to the will of God. He's always sensitive to the heart of God. He's always sensitive to the things that pleases God or displeases him. You know, when he was in the, was it the cave of Adullam? There was that cave that he was, and he was hiding there, and Saul came, and Saul didn't know that he was in the cave, and Saul slept. And then one of his bodyguards said that, um, my lord the king, just give me the go ahead. Let me just strike Saul once. He said, I promise you, my lord, I won't strike twice. <laughs> you know, the guy knew where to strike, and Saul would be a dead man instantly. He won't make the mistake. You know, David said no. 
But David did what? Reached out and caught the skirt of Saul. The Bible says that the heart of David smote him. He was so sensitive to the things of the Lord. He was so sensitive to the things that pleases God. And I believed he developed that sense of sensitivity, that sense of responsibility over time because he was a lover of God. He was, a love, he was always looking for an opportunity to go all the way. When the Ark of Covenant was brought back from the land of the Philistines, he, and he was dancing before the Lord. Scripture says he removed his robe and he was... He, David didn't have, he didn't have this regulation that men have, that you and I have sometimes have. And, you know, everything is about us is regulated. We worship God under the supervision of our ego. <laughs> how many of us understand what I'm trying to say? Your ego is watching you as you are worshiping God. Say, okay, this is how far you can go. You can't cry. You can't kneel down. You can't, you know, just stay here and be. So be mindful. You are wearing a shirt, a very fine shirt. Don't stain it. That's the way some of us worship God. And that is the simplistic form of it. I mean, other expressions could mean you are in an environment where God expects you to be a witness to him. Where God expects you to, the values that he's taught you, the issues of the kingdom, the decisions about to be made, and people are attending and are suggesting unrighteous ideas. And you are there, and you're supposed to make God proud and speak up for righteousness. And then you're mellowing. See, don't, don't spoil your reputation here. Don't let them know that you are. You know. David wasn't somebody like that. Every opportunity that David had to take a stand for God, to manifest, to show his heart, he went all the way when it came to the things of God. No wonder he could sit down in his, in, in his house and say, that, How can I be dwelling in the house of Sida? We, we, I think we considered that, was it last week? How can I be dwelling in a house of cedar? And the how the ark of the Lord is dwelling among curtains. I have to build God a heart. That is the heart that loves the Lord lavishly. That's the heart of a true worshiper. You know, and the love of God has to become, it has to translate to hunger and thirst. Some of us, the expression, we know we love the Lord. We love the Lord by faith. You know the way you know that. Um, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not high, but Christ lives in me. We, it's a declaration of faith. It's a reality, right? And then it's a declaration of faith. Even though sometimes things that you are looking at around you doesn't show it. Am I making sense? Am I making sense? Things around you doesn't show it. But maybe you are struggling with sudden infirmity, but you keep declaring. You keep declaring. because, And the more you declare, the more it comes to manifestation. The more you believe, the more you sow the seed of faith and find, you know, and water that seed, the more it grows and the more you come into the experience of that which you're declaring, which is the truth of God's word. But for some of us, it is, we are not even, faith is not engaged in our love for God. We say we love God, but there is nothing to show for it. We say we love God, but our lives doesn't show that there is love here. Our routine doesn't show that love lives here. I mean, when you love somebody, you stay committed to them. When you love somebody, that love influences your decisions, whether it is convenient or not. Am I making sense? How many of us are married here? You know, there are times when you want to slap your 
your your your partner because you just as just what 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 is this ridiculous of but something constrains you what is that thing is love that love has as as morphed into covenant that love has what is no longer i see you i like you i have goosebumps no leave that for small small children this love has what it has come to covenant a covenant is something you you do whether it is convenient or not am i making sense and in that covenant some vows were said you said that in sickness and in health for better for worse um what what else again sorry it's been many years i can't remember god forgive me <laughs> i can't even remember my vows <laughs> you know but i'm leaving it don't worry even if i can't recite it she can testify that i'm leaving the vow <laughs> praise god you know in sickness and in health when it's okay when it's not okay and all that and you actually are expected to live and stay committed to those vows so sometimes it is not convenient but you know you have no choice because this is what love is this is what love is love is what is commitment love is a decision to keep giving the best even when you're receiving the worst that's love and that is the way the love of god is that is why god can never write us off he can never because he is love he can never say you i'm tired of you get out of my kingdom <laughs> no even if you've messed up a million times he will still come and show commitment to you because that is what he said he will do hallelujah but consider it consider how beautiful it's going to be if as God is showing commitment to you, irrespective of the circumstances, you are responding with commitment to God, irrespective of how convenient or not convenient it is. Imagine how beautiful that's going to be. Where God can say concerning you that, oh, I know you. Oh, I know Tokwe. I know. I know. I have tried her. I know what her heart will choose in this circumstance. See, but all that comes to you know to, today what I, what what I want us to trust God to do is to look at our lives and take the challenge to radically change our lifestyle because worship true worship the very foundation of it is what is a radical change of what of lifestyle you can't have the old mode you can't have the old mold and expect new wine to hold. You can't have the old wine skin and expect to hold new wine. It is not possible. New wine must come into what? Into a new wine skin. Scripture says if you put a new wine into an old wine skin, what happens? Busts. And the concept of the old and the new is not that one is old. It's not a concept of time. It's a concept of material. The new wineskin is made of a superior material than the old wineskin. That is why it can take new wine. Hallelujah. Praise God. And that is why the outcry of God is for us to have that new wineskin. 
Because what God is pouring is new wine. And God is pouring the spirit. In the last day, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see, you know, will, will dream, you will see visions and your old men and old ladies will dream. What God is pouring is new wine. What we have to give to receive it has to be new wine skins. It, has, it can't be anything less. The covenant that we have which guarantees you know, our future in God, the only thing that it requires is a commensurate level of commitment and sacrifice. And that's why it's better to go over the messages we've, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about over the last three or four weeks and really consider with a, what do I need to do to adjust my life, to make adjustment. Because repentance is what? It's adjustment. Repentance is what? It's adjustment. We have to be a people constantly making adjustments. Give me Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> Spiritual adjustment is what determines whether we have moved from idol worship to true worship. Let me say that again. Spiritual adjustment. Otherwise, another word for that is repentance. Is what determines whether we what? We have we will move from what? Idol worship to what? To true worship. And let me give you this. Most idol worshippers did not start with the intent of being idol worshippers. Consider idol worship as a journey. And I'm going to use the children of Israelites as a type. When they left Egypt, what was the intent of God for bringing them out of Egypt? To do what? To do what? Worship him, yes. What else again? I want response. What was God's intent? To do what? Take them to the promised land. Good. I like it. Please respond. That is God's intent. How many of them eventually entered the promised land out of those who came out of Egypt? Just two of them. So God had an intent, right? Is the problem with the intent of God? No. Where was the problem? The response of the people. That is the way idol worshippers are. The intent of God is for you to come into fullness. To come into the place of transformation and change. To come into, let's use the concept of tabernacle. The holiest of all. To arrive in God. To arrive in God. That's the intent. We said that worship is what? It's a journey in God and a journey into God. Am I making sense? That is God's intent. But when you get to a point and you refuse to respond to God and you refuse to journey with God and you begin to feel that the demands of God, you know, and all the things that you can meet, what happens? You shut down the process of migration. At that point, you become an idol worshiper. So an idol worshiper is not the idol, it's not the concept of, oh, you know, this is Orisha, <laughs> you, know, you know, the kind of thing. That's not what we're saying. But when serving God refuses to translate to transformation of heart, when 
serving God refuses to translate to what? To change. Then you become an idol worshiper. What it means is that you have created an image of God that you want to relate with. And it is no longer up to God to choose he, how he wants to manifest himself to you. You are the one that said, this is the one image of God that I like. And this is where I want to tabernacle. Hallelujah. It was the reason why Abraham, scripture says that, Hebrews chapter 11 says that Abraham was dwelling in what? In tents. With heirs of, of promise, Isaac and Jacob. He said, for he looked for what? A city whose what? Whose builder and maker is who? Abraham had that mindset that I cannot tabernacle. I cannot, I cannot settle down. I have to constantly have a disposition and a lifestyle that is ready to migrate. That is ready to move. If God shows me this side of him today, I respond to that side of God. If he shows me this side today or tomorrow, I am ready to do what? To respond I'm ready to respond. That was the decision that Abraham had to make. And he adjusted his lifestyle to fit that decision. That was why when it was time that God would test him with Isaac, he had built that disposition of heart already. It was tough, but he had what it takes to respond to God. Am I making sense? Because that he has adjusted his lifestyle. He has adjusted his heart to fit the demands of God for every time. Every single time. He was ready to make sacrifices in order to do what? To respond to the heart of God. So worship has to lead to what? Transformation of the heart. It has to lead to what? Adjustment. Hebrews chapter 9. Then verily the first covenant also had ordinances. And stuff. Okay, so let me give us a background to this. God had a covenant with the children of Israel. Right? How many of us know that? And as part of that covenant, there was a tabernacle of worship. Because for every covenant, there is a what? There is a tabernacle which is meant to serve as an avenue to service the covenant. Am I making sense? To respond to the covenant. So there's a tabernacle of worship. There's a tabernacle of sacrifice. And the old tabernacle had, you know, all the, um, the, the, the three faces. You have the outer court, you have the inner court, you have the holiest of all. And then God gave instructions concerning um, how he wanted them to relate, how he wanted them to worship or to you know, to bring about the order of service. You know, but when you read Hebrews 8, sorry, so give us Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8 and 9 was giving us the reason why God had to make the old covenant obsolete and had to wrap it up. And why he had to institute a new covenant. Scripture says that if the old covenant was not faultless, there would have been no need for what? For a new good. So for if that first covenant had been what? Faultless. Then should no place have been sought for the what? For the second. Next verse. For finding fault with them, he said, 
Who did he find fault with? Let's respond. Who did he find fault with? The people. So he said the old covenant wasn't faultless. He has to do what? He has to bring about a new. Then he began to explain the faults of the old covenant. And he said what? Finding fault with the people. Behold. He said, behold, the days come, said the Lord, when I will make a what? A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Next verse. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did what? They continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, said the Lord. Next verse. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a what? The fault of the covenant was that the people refused to progress. They refused to migrate. That was the fault of the covenant. The covenant was made for a people, but the people were not ready to do what? To make adjustment. Whenever it became tough, the people had no regard for the covenant, had no regard for God, had no regard for the things he had done before. Some of us are like that. We've experienced great victories in our lives before, but whenever a new challenge shows up, we are faithless all over again. All over again. It's as though we have never seen the hand of God before. God is demanding for adjustment this morning hallelujah let's go back let's back up let's back up let me just emphasize um, go to verse 9 hallelujah he said not according to the covenant i made with their fathers in the day when i took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did what they continued not in my covenant nor had regard they did not have regard for it they did not have regard for it you see, God cannot express himself amongst a people that have no regard for him. Should I say that again? God cannot express himself amongst a people that have no regard for him. God can express himself among a people whose heart cry every time and their whole essence of interfacing with God is for God to meet their needs and have no regard for what is in the heart of God. Had no regard for the will of God. Had no regard for the heart cry of the Spirit. Hallelujah. That is the epitome, that is the template of idol worship. It's a template that only stays and tabernacles within a setting that allows God to give to me. But there is nothing I'm giving back to God. You know, even, and this thing is so bad that a lot of our Christian culture is framed around these things. Have you heard when people say, well, you know, 
you are not worshipping God. <laughs> you better worship God. Today, as you worship God, the level of your worship, as you wrap up for God, that's the level of your miracles. What is the intent? Have you heard things like, what prayer cannot do, praise will do. It's all about doing something. It's not about connecting to the heart of God and say, God, your will be done. The people want something. They can do anything to get that thing. It doesn't show that they truly love God. It's just transactional. Amen. The Yorubas will say, Antori, Antori, an idol worship doesn't mind. Is it to say, brother, ah, brother, 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 if we even turn into a song. Brother, 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 <laughs> just to eat meat. That is the template of an idol worshiper. He is not ready to migrate. God has no access into his heart to change his heart. But he's willing to do everything. That's why you find certain people who are very religious. They don't take their religiosity for granted. In church, they are very much in church. But as solid as their religiosity is, is also as solid as their vindictiveness is. The two doesn't mix. <laughs> they are like fresh water and salt water inside a container. And both of them are having a good time. Hallelujah. Am I making sense this morning? I hope you are getting blessed. So I'm saying that the destination of true worship is what is for us to inherit God. The goal of true worship is to please God. And the result of that pleasing God is spiritual transformation. Spiritual transformation. Give me Hebrews chapter 9. Let's read verse 11. I've been wanting to read Hebrews chapter 9 since. Okay, so let, let's, I think let's, let's start from Hebrews 1 so that we can have, I mean Hebrews 9 verse 1 so that we can just have um, a, a very good context. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. So we read um, Hebrews chapter 8 where we talked about the fact that the first covenant had fault. Am I right? Am I making sense? And he was talking about the fault of the old covenant and then he was not giving us the promise that God made that he will make a new covenant you know, and that new covenant, he will design it in such a way that within the new covenant, he will have access to the heart of man. Did you get that? Did you get that? Because he was saying that in the new covenant, I will write the laws where? In their hearts and in their minds. So he designed a covenant that made him have access the whole essence of the new covenant is access into the heart of man. That's the whole essence. So you are in the new covenant when God has that asset. There is a writing, there is an inscribing of the vision of God. That's why I love the word inscribing the vision so much. There's an inscribing on the tablet of your heart by the word. There is an inscribing and by those inscriptions there is change. There is change. There is transformation as you expose yourself to the word of God, there is what? There is an inscribing in your heart. 
There is a change that is coming. There is a change that is taking place. There is transformation taking place. That is the essence of the new covenant. That is the essence of the new covenant of worship. Hallelujah. So, but now he's saying that even the old covenant, sorry, go back. Nine, yes, good. Then verily the first covenant also had ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Next verse. For there was a what? A tabernacle. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Next verse. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Next verse. Which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold. Wherein was the golden pot that had manna and eros rod that bordered and the tables of the covenant. Verse 5. And over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing, um, go back, accomplishing the service of God. Next verse, seven. But into the second went the what? The high priest alone, once every year, not without blood which he offered for himself and for the what? The errors of the people. So the first tabernacle was always about offering sacrifices, offering worship to cover the errors of the people. It was a maintenance tabernacle. Am I making sense? It was a what? It was a maintenance tabernacle. The whole essence of it was always to cover for the errors of a people who were out of alignment. That was the whole thing. Even though God was preserving them, God was saving them, God was giving them manna, their clothes were growing on their bodies, you know, there is water from the rock. The whole arrangement was maintenance. Am I making sense? Am I making sense? The whole arrangement was what? It was just maintenance. There was no migration taking place. There was no real interaction taking place. Next verse, verse 8. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet what? Made manifest. While as the first tabernacle was yet standing. So the first tabernacle had no access into the holiest of all. There was no access into the heart of God. There was no access. What was in the holiest of all? The what? The table of what? No, not Shubet. Shubet is in um, the holy place. The Ark of the Covenant is what is in the what? In the holiest of all. And inside that Ark, what do you have it? You have the tablets of commandments. You have the golden pots that contain manna. And then you have the what? Aaron's rod that bordered. Those, 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 that, those are things that should... What, what is the covenant for? Is the instructions, right? What is the manna? The manna is the instruction of God that you eat. It's every element in that place is for change, is for transformation, is to inscribe God into our hearts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let's go to, I think we must be in verse, yeah, which was a figure of, the, for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service what? So, they had an order of service that could not make the people offering the service perfect. There is an order of service today 
and that order of service still exists. It is not designed for the people to press into perfection. It is designed to offer sacrifice unto God so that God can bless people. And by blessing, I mean carnal blessings. Hallelujah. Which stood only with meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of what? Reformation. Somebody say we're in the time of reformation. Say that again. Say we're in the time of reformation. Next verse. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the word eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your what? Your conscience from what? To do what? The whole essence of cleansing is for service and another word for service in that in in that verse is worship the reason you are cleansed so that you can offer service so that you can offer worship the reason for the new tabernacle which jesus had to offer himself scripture said this one wasn't offered with the blood of bulls and goats that cannot make someone perfect jesus became what the perfect sacrifice submitted himself, paid the ultimate price so that it can create a tabernacle that has the capacity to bring us into God. Am I making sense? It's to create the word, a tabernacle that had the word, the capacity to do what? To bring us by cleansing, by washing, by purification and what purifies is the word what purifies for the blood first then the word the blood first then the what then the word because the blood purifies us from dead work cleanses us scripture says that the, the blood of Christ does what cleanses us from dead works but what does the water do the water brings transformation as the water washes, scripture says, by the washing of the water, by the word, by the word, what happens? There is change. There is change. I was discussing with somebody one day. I said, Jesus died for the world. You know, when you read Ephesians 5, Jesus died for the world, right? Right or wrong? Right. But Jesus lives for the church. He died for the world. And he has died and he has resurrected. He doesn't owe the world anything in the game. He's died for them. He's died for the sins of the whole world. The world now needs to respond to God. But scripture says that he is alive. Doing what to? Washing the church. Cleansing her and making her what? Holy without spot 
and without wrinkle. That's the ministry of Jesus to us now. He's concerned for our cleansing. Give me um, back up a little to Ephesians 5 where he said that um, husband love your wife, wife love your husband. You know, so for the husband, um, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands love your wife, and as Christ loved the church and gave himself for what? For her. Yeah, that he may what? Sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Is that where it ends? That he might what? Present it to himself. A what? A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. Glory to God. That is the essence of the new covenant. That is what God has prepared for us as a people. But great preparations require great response. Am I making sense this morning? Am I making sense? Great preparations requires what? Great response. We have to prove ourselves worthy to receive the things that God has prepared for us. We have to show that we are not a reprobate people that does not give utmost attention to the most holy things. We have to be, we have to showed God that we are not Esau that had a great heritage but because of a bowl of porridge threw away that heritage because he didn't make any sense to him and God was displeased with his generation hallelujah hallelujah God wants us to make spiritual adjustment. True worship is a two-way thing. It's a two-way thing. It's a two-way thing. God is releasing his grace, he's releasing his light, his revelation. We are responding to him. We are responding, responding to him. We are taking the instructions of the Lord and we are embedding those instructions in our life. Causing change and transformation. What is the heart cry of the spirit this morning? It's called change. We have to change as people. I have to change. I have to. We have to break down the, the, the altars of idol worship in our lives. The things that say to us that we can remain the same and still serve God. No, you cannot. Some of us have put a cap on our life. Have you seen people? You know, is the reason why when you show a little sense of passion for God, they immediately call you a pastor. Because you are a rare person. That the, the exclusive office of those who are showing passion for God is pastor. The rest of us, we, we are, you know, God has not, it's not that hard. We've created a culture around complacency. We've created a culture around you know taking it easy 
So we see somebody who is ah, the brother was oh, I want Jim Jim near. However, we are there. You know, so we we have we have camps. There's the camp of the Jim Jims. There's the camp of those who take things easy. That is how we should change ourselves from the things of the spirit. God doesn't want rational lovers. God wants passionate lovers. Passionate lovers. It has to consume us. This thing called the love of God, it has to what? It has to consume us. That is when we are truly living the life. It has to consume us. It has to take over everything. It is not a life that we are managing. It's not a, it's not a life that we are we're just measuring little by little and just say, you know, that, that's what idol worship. Idol worship is very regulated. Am I making sense? Just wake up, pour oil on the altar, do everything. Anything you do after you get out of that, your shrine. That's all. Come tomorrow. Take your own. I've given you your own. I go out and do my own thing. God is not an idol. God is not an idol. And God will not receive idol worship. He will not. That's why his presence is absent in our lives. That's why we're not seeing the signs that we ought to see. That's why we're not seeing you know, the breakthroughs that we, that we deserve. That the covenant has bestowed upon us the, 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 you know, the, the manifestations of the supernatural that ought to be our daily experience is missing because we have refused to make adjustments for it. Hallelujah. I, I pray the Lord will really, really help our hearts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray the Lord will do what? We really will help. The goal, the goal in the heart of God is to make us be like himself. That's the goal in the heart of God. It's to make us be like himself in every sense of the in every sense of it. We have a, his heart, we have his character, we even have his power. God is not afraid to share his power with us. He's not. He's not an insecure God. What he's concerned about is how you use it. Imagine somebody with power that is not meek. You create more damage than originally exists. And that's why it's holding back. Because if you if, imagine God gives us power to move, to shift shapes, He would have turned everybody to monkeys out of anger. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's the reason why those things have been held back. Because when we are not transformed and changed, we will abuse the Lord's privileges. We will abuse it. And then because we are also not proving ourselves worthy of it, because our hunger is very low. David was a man that had an ultimate hunger. He, 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 he was ready to go all the way. And we should be ready to go all the way for God. All the way. All the way. These things have eternal consequences. Am I making sense? I've, I've finished my message. You know, I'm just charging us up right now. These things has what? 
eternal consequences. We should make it count. We should make it count. Hallelujah. And I just want us to take time to talk to God this morning. Just, just bow your heads and just look into your lives. And let's, let's, let's have a conversation with the Spirit. And it's a conversation that it should go like, Lord, what adjustments, what adjustment am I to make right now? And the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you. He will begin to speak to you and he will begin to give you specific instructions. And for some of us, you already know, as the word was coming forth, you already had witness in your heart concerning the adjustment of specific adjustments that the Lord wanted you to make. So begin to pray and say, Father, I receive grace to make, to make adjustment. I receive grace to make adjustment. I receive grace to change. New wine cannot go into old wineskins. New wine has to be in new wineskins. I want to be a true worshiper. I want to migrate. I want to, I want to be a pilgrim migrating from one dimension of glory to another moving from one realm of glory to another from one realm of experience to another david said i want to dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life and we said that the house of god is that place where god has preeminence god is first place god is first his will his agenda his counsel what he wants his first place in our heart that is where the house of god is that's where we should dwell. Our response should be, how will it benefit the Lord before we make a decision? What is in need for the Lord to gain? What is the gain that this will bring to the Lord? What is the gain that this job will bring to the Lord? What is the gain that this decision will bring? How will this bring glory to God? How does my 24 hours bring glory to God? Am I hungry for God? Blessed are those that hunger and test after righteousness.